Good morning. It's nice to be here. And uh, um, I don't know about you guys, but that second song kind of wrecked me. I was a little nervous uh, before I came up. I was like, I'm glad I got another song to recover here because I might be in a little trouble. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes the worship and everything just, just impacts me. Uh, my name is Dan Morse. I'm excited to be here uh, with you uh, this morning and be able to speak God's word. And I uh, just want to thank uh, uh, Kevin uh, for asking me into this moment, uh, the bronze beauty, as uh, he's known for right now. <laughs> Dude, he's got a great tan right now, I'm telling you, he looks great. Um, just beautiful. Um, <laughs> I got a little man crush going on right now, if you can't tell. But uh, just really excited to be here. Um, and one of the nice things about uh, when Kevin might take a break or something like that, and he invites Josh or myself into these moments, is he gives us these opportunities to really do these one-off sermons. And so we can speak to really what God is laying on our hearts and where we're at in our own spiritual walk and, and kind of our development and what God is stirring in our own lives. And we get to share that. And I'm pretty excited about that today. God has been doing something in me and stirring something in me for, uh, for a little while. And, uh, and so I'm going to share that uh, with you here. And so I'm, I'm honored to be here with you. Uh, thank you so much uh, for being here. I want to start out, though, by asking you a question like uh, we commonly do. The question is, what is it that you are passionate about? What is it that makes you tick? What is it that gets you excited when you wake up in the morning? And, and, and what, what is it that you approach in your life with fervor? With fervor. Fervor is actually passion. It means warmth and vigor. What is it that you, that you approach in your life with this kind of fervor? It could be all kinds of different things, really. But usually there's one thing that really drives you. It's your life mission, it's who you are at the core. And it, it, it turns into all kinds of different things, and, and it manifests itself in different ways. And we see it sometimes in, in, in coming out in people's employment, that they're just so focused in on their job. They wake up, and they can't wait to get to work, and they just love making money, and they love the power and the prestige of, uh, of earning money and, and what they do in their job. This could be your family. People just really identify with being a mom or a dad, and this is where their passion lies. Um, it could be all kinds of different. It could be recreation. It could be hunting and fishing or sports or whatever, fitness. It could be all kinds of different things. But I would say that there should be something underneath that where your true fervor comes in. So I'm asking you, where does your fervor lie? And I would say that God has developed something in me since I became a Christian. I would just like to share this with you and what I have witnessed and what I have seen in my time in 28 years as a Christian. As someone who's been involved in the church, heavily involved in the church, from the time I said yes to Jesus, I was kind of pulled into the church. And I was like, hey, man, we want you to serve. We want you to, to be a part of this. And so very early on, I got involved in leadership and started teaching classes and, and studying theology and doing these things in the church. And, and I was always able to express that to others and, and, and to have a, a place in the church where I could share that with other people. And so there's always been this, this passion in me, uh, really, to follow what it is that God had for me in my own personal development. And, and, and through my upbringing in the church, God has taught me some things. I'd really like to talk to you about that today. And so really why I think he's developed this fervor in me. So when we became Christians, my wife and I, coming up on 28 years, Easter Sunday, uh, 28 years ago, it was coming right out of like these, the whole like Billy Graham crusade area, era, 
Or it's like the 60s, 70s, and 80s were just heavy evangelism. Every time you turned on your TV on a Saturday night, I don't know if you remember this, you'd see Billy Graham screaming at people. And I was always like, why is he yelling at everybody? I don't know. He's pretty fired up about what it is that he has to say. But I didn't really understand it because I wasn't a churchgoer at the time. I had no church uh, involvement in my life at all. I just saw this guy on the TV screen yelling and hollering at everybody, telling him, repent, repent, repent. I didn't even know what that meant. And so, but that's kind of what I grew up in. And that was kind of the era that right after that, that I got saved. And so right after that also was like this time of what was called evangelism explosion. Does anybody remember evangelism explosion? Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a program uh, that was brought out by a guy named Dr. D. James Kennedy from Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Florida, Pensacola, Florida. And it was this program where you'd actually get these cards and you'd memorize scriptures, you'd memorize all these different ways of communicating the gospel to people, and you go door to door, actually door to door ministry, and you'd present the gospel to people, and you you know, and you'd ask them the di- these two diagnostic questions. Does anybody remember the diagnostic questions? Anybody know those? You remember those? Yep. Yeah, yeah. The first one was always like, "Hey, if you were to die today." do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? And most people would say, well, yeah, I think I would. And do you remember the second one? Yeah. If you were to stand before Jesus and he said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And usually people would say, well, I've been a good person. So I've been a pretty good person, so I think that God would allow me to enter into his kingdom. And of course, that would allow people to come into a a gospel uh, presentation because it's by grace that you have been saved through faith and not through works. It's, the Bible's very clear that we can't be good enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. There's no amount of good works, there's no amount of goodness in us that can kick open the doors of heaven, that Jesus would say, yeah, you've just been a great guy, come on in. No, it's by faith that you have been saved. And so that this, they, they were able to, to enter into these conversations, and I use these myself early on in having conversations with people, and I still think they're effective. I do. I really do. And so that, that was usually what would happen, but countless numbers of people would be coming to, to Christ through these ministries. And so it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And then back in 1975, there was a small uh, church uh, in Barrington, Illinois that met in a theater. It was the beginning of something small, and it became something big. It was called Willow Creek Community Church. And Willow Creek Community Church was, had this mission statement. Their mission statement was, I actually wrote it down. Their mission was to reach irreligious people and turn them into fully devoted followers of Christ. And so this was their mission. And their mission was about evangelism. We're going to go out and we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to do whatever we can to seek uh, people out and to invite them into our church. And we had this big movement in our church. We wanted to grow this church to be huge. That people would come here and they would hear the gospel. And so, but there were, there were some, some problems with that because in the church, the, the, this, this attractive ministry, this method of attracting people into the church, they started to water down the gospel. They started like, this cross would not be seen at the church. They would take it down because they thought it might be a stumbling block or it might be offensive to some people. And they called it the seeker-sensitive movement. And so all of this was kind of in my formative years, but it was all centered around evangelism. And the problem was, though, it didn't really help people to go deep in their faith. It was more just about um, getting people saved, getting people saved and building the church. This is the same time that the church growth movement was happening. 
And so we went from like 50 megachurches in America to like 1,500 megachurches in like a one-decade span because it was all about reaching people, bringing them in, building a big church, building a big church, building a big church. The megachurch philosophy was, was kind of what people were running with. And it was all about evangelism, getting butts in the seats. And that's all, that's, that was the goal. Kevin has talked about this, that he was a part of that and how that was, that was um, what he thought was kind of an unbiblical model and was really, he struggled with that. And so did I. So the evangelism, uh, the, the whole emphasis was on evangelism and church growth. And then you were taught, like if you weren't out there preaching the gospel and leading people to Jesus, that something was wrong with you. That it was the most important part of the church. Like if you're not out there leading people to Christ, inviting them to Christ, all that, there's something wrong with you. And it was almost like a heresy. Like if you wanted deeper theological matters and if you wanted to move into deeper theological waters, it was almost like, well, you're just being selfish. You're being like, this is, a, um, you're just trying to be a Bible fathead, is what they would say. And really, that's not very spiritual. Spiritually mature people, you take care of that, but you bring people here. We grow this church. That's what you do. And so I think a lot of people were damaged by that because you went into these churches and they were a mile wide and an inch deep. And, it, and people were damaged by that because they were like, well, what is this all about? I'm not growing in my faith. I'm not coming to know Christ in the deeper ways. They're just like, no, I just am supposed to continue to go out and tell people about Jesus. And so I think people, when, when, they, when they figured this out, that I can't really go deep here, they begin to leave. And Willow Creek actually saw this as a trend. I'm just giving you guys this long, big intro. I hope you're cool with it, big history thing. But they saw this as a trend, and they did something called the Reveal Survey in 2005. And the Reveal Survey was something that they instituted in their church. They put it out through all their members in the congregation, and it came back and said that you guys are basically, you make converts, but you don't make disciples. So you're, you're, you're getting people saved. Yes, people are saying that they're coming to Christ, but they're not going deep over here. And they're not really knowing Christ. They're knowing, like, you're supposed to go out and tell people about him, but you're not actually knowing Christ and so a lot of people began to leave. A lot of people began to leave the church. And so I was at a, at a church, as a matter of fact, where we did the reveal survey. So I was a part of that. And I saw the same thing. It came out in our survey, too, that we were, we were a mile wide and an inch deep. We, just, we weren't hitting the mark. So what, what, what has happened? So there's been a response in the church. There's been a response. And in 2008, there was actually a, a new movement, and it was called... Um, the, new, the year of the new Calvinists, young, restless, and reformed. So there's these people who kind of said, I'm done with that seeker movement. I'm done with the seeker-sensitive movement. I'm done with the church growth movement. I'm done with like, all of this. Like All I'm supposed to be doing is evangelism. I want to know Christ. And so they began to study. They like locked down. You've seen them. They're wearing plaid shirts. They got a, a knapsack filled with books of old dead theologians and an ESV. And usually facial hair. You know, you can usually tell those guys. They're, they're, they're young, they're restless, and they're reformed. And they love their studying. They love knowledge. And so they wanted to just, they wanted to know Christ. And so they really f- focused in and honed in on a few areas. Usually the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God became a big thing. And so this whole movement away from, from reaching people for Christ and to being seeker-sensitive became like, no, I just want to know Christ and, I, and understand his sovereignty. And in his sovereignty, his sovereignty says that there are some who are predetermined for eternal life and there are some who are not. And so those people who are predetermined for eternal life are going to be there whether I preach to them or not. I mean, there is, someone's going to preach the gospel to them. And, and I, I, 
they would never say this, and this is an oversimplification, but I think that this, this movement has kind of moved us away from evangelism in the church and said, well, we're just going to focus in on the holiness of the sovereignty of God, the word of God. We're going to study him, and we'll get to know him. And a lot of, you know, theological debates have arisen because of it. But I also think, like, people, um, people have, have not heard the gospel because of it. And I've heard, actually, Reformed pastors, Calvinistic pastors who are telling people, get your nose out of the books and get it out and go talk to your neighbor. I've heard people say it, so I'm not alone in that. But the focus turned inward. It turned in towards ourselves. Like, I want to know Christ. I want to know him deeply. But I don't necessarily feel compelled to go tell my neighbor about this Jesus that I want to know so deeply. So I think this is just like an overreaction or an over-response to the seeker-sensitive movement, the church growth movement, this, this movement away from the megachurch. I think this is a response to that. This is my own opinion. But what happened is I, just, I, I, thought, I saw the, the church kind of go silent. The church has just kind of went silent. And so we used to see hundreds of people come to faith every year. We used to see multitude of people get baptized every year with tears running down their face, talking about how they met Jesus for the first time and how beautiful it was. And I remember, this was like uh, 10 years ago, I was a pastor of a church, and we were, I was with my, my boss, my lead pastor. We're driving down the fairway. We're on the golf cart, and we were talking about this because every year, fewer and fee, fewer people became to know Christ, came to know Christ. We saw fewer baptisms. We were talking about it, and I'm just, what is going on? What is going on? And I remember just looking at him and said, we have lost our fervor for lost people. We used to be so passionate about reaching lost people with the gospel, we lost our fervor for it because we've turned inward. We've turned, we want to study the scriptures. We want to know God. We want to know his sovereignty. We want to know his holiness. We want to know his attributes. We want to know Christ. But we don't want to reach our neighbor. That's old. That's the old method of doing church. We, we don't need to be sensitive to seekers. I actually like that whole like seeker sensitive thing kind of annoys me because I want to be sensitive to people who are seeking after God. I want to be sensitive to those people. These people need Jesus. I want to be sensitive to that, but this whole seeker sensitive, I can't even like, you can't even like teach a class using their curriculum anymore in the church. Like Willow Creek, the Bill Hybels, you can't, you can't use their stuff because they've been stained by, this, by their movement and by the way that they blew up, the church is blown up. But anyways, it's, it's like the, we threw the baby out with the, with, with, with the bathwater. And so, so this silence breaks my heart. The silence that the church has like gone so inward that it just breaks my heart. It's so crazy. You know, I, as I, you know, I started thinking about this message a few weeks ago. And it's weird. This last week, I had three conversations with strangers and just laid out the gospel to these people. Just, just, and just conversationally. Nothing, I wasn't hitting anybody. I wasn't beating anybody up. I, wasn't, I just had these conversations with people like, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Hey, let me tell you about Jesus and him Christ crucified and what Easter, Easter's coming. Do you celebrate Easter? What's that about? What, you know, and, and so I got to enter into these conversations with people very gently about the gospel. And it's something, it's just because I've been focused on it. Because I was preaching this message. And I've been asking myself this question. Where is my fervor for lost people? Am I falling victim and prey to this new movement that says we don't need to do that anymore? Church really is, you know, we, we say it. We like, it's a tagline on the end of a sermon sometimes. But it's not really like our, 
our, we don't have the fervor and the passion for reaching people who are far from God. And that breaks my heart. I think it breaks the heart of God. I was thinking about, like, when was the last time I introduced someone to Jesus? Someone who didn't know the gospel of grace. When was the last time I had a conversation like, hey, do you know this God who loves you? Or do you know religion? Have you been taught something in the church, but you've never had an encounter with Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah? When was the last time I introduced somebody to Jesus? So today, in the limited amount of time I have, I'm going to try to bring these two ideas together. Paul, the theologian, and Paul, the evangelist. That's who we're talking about here. But I want to start with the Great Commission, because this is powerful. We're going to look at this from Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Okay, so if you want to look in your Bibles there, we're going to be kind of bouncing all over the place as far as Scripture, but this is our base text that I'm going to just keep mentioning and coming back to. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This authority, this authority is what has been given to Jesus by the Father. We need to kind of stop and set, and, and set the stage here. Jesus is standing there and saying, I've been given authority uh, over everything. Heaven, earth, all the authority. The Father has given me authority over all of these things. And then he says, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the ends of the age. So here, God the Father is giving Jesus this authority. He's given this authority, and what does he do with it? He's actually commissioning us to do something. God is, in, is, is through his son is saying, I'm commissioning you. I am, through the authority that's been given to me, I am sending you out and I'm telling you to go. Not just wait for them to come. I'm telling you to go and to make. Let me ask you a question. When you read that, do you see these as active, as an active text or a passive text? Go. Make disciples. Teaching them. That's us. That's the commission that has been given to us by Jesus himself to go, make, teach. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Sunday mornings is a celebration of what God has been showing us all through the week. This is a celebration gathering where we can come together as a family and worship as a family the goodness of God and how he has shown up in our lives and he has done amazing and beautiful things. This isn't where it all happens, guys. This isn't it. This can't be it. You see, this has been, this whole, the Great Commission is the greatest handoff of all time. Here's God the Father handing Jesus this mission to go and commission us to go, and he has given it to us. He's given it to us to say, now you go. You make disciples. You teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. And by the way, I am with you to the ends of the age. I'm not leaving. I'm with you. You're not on your own. We're in this with Jesus This is his message to go, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, and then to teach them to obey and to follow Jesus. So we get them saved, yes. Evangelism, we want to 
spread the gospel, spread the gospel, and then we take them deep, and then we send them out. And that's what we're all supposed to be doing. And then we teach those people to do the same thing. It's a both and. It's not a one or the other. So this is our responsibility as stewards of the gospel. I hope you guys understand that we are stewards of this message, that God has given it to us. And I'm going to demonstrate that through some scriptures here shortly. But I want to dispel a couple of common myths when it comes to evangelism. Because evangelism has actually become like a naughty word in the church. But it's gross. It's like discipleship. Discipleship and evangelism. Oh, we don't talk. We call, now it's called spiritual formation. We have to rename it, actually, because it's become a, a bad word. Um, so myth number one. Let's look at this. These are common myths in the church. I just feel like it's my job to love people and not beat them over the head with the Bible. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I, I, there's probably times I've said this. I, you know, is this true? Yes, it is true. But it's incomplete, so let's just talk about this a little bit. First, Scripture never tells us that we're to, to, to beat people over the head with the Bible. I mean, this whole like, message of the gospel is like gentle. It's, not, it's like we're supposed to do it gently and respectfully and all of that. We're not supposed to go out there and, and beat, beat people over the head with it. But yes, sometimes it is offensive. The cross is offensive. It is foolishness for those who are perishing, the scriptures say. So yes, there are going to be people that you can be as gentle as you want to do, as you want to be, introducing them to Jesus, and they're not going to like it. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but it's our job to love people, yes, with truth. And the greatest way to love people, if you're thinking like this, is by sharing the good news of forgiveness and eternal life that's found in the gospel, that's found in the cross of Christ. I, you can't really tell people you love them and keep the greatest news from them that has ever, like, that, that's ever happened. It's the greatest news of all eternity for, for, for all mankind, and yet you're withholding it. You can't say that you love these people. That's not love. And I just want to remind you of something, because it's just like something that's just been kind of, I've been thinking about it. Like, my love is not powerful enough to save anybody. My love can't save my love doesn't have the power of salvation for all who believe. It's not my love. It's the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that has the power to save. It's not me. It's not my love. It's not the way I serve you. It's not the way I love you. It's not, yes, that can be a door-opening tool that we use or, or just our, the way that we're supposed to be as Christians, yes. But that's, that's incomplete. Again, the gospel is what saves and so we have to be proclaiming the gospel. I'm going to play a, a short video here. It's a little bit older. I, I, some of you probably have seen it before, but I was thinking about it. And it's pretty impactful. Uh, so if you want to roll that video, I just want you guys to see this here. I'm going to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, I 
that's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Sometimes I wonder if uh, Penn Jillette would realize, <laughs> do you know your videos being used in the church to, like, to talk about evangelism and to talk about this, this whole idea of spreading the gospel to people like you that don't even agree with it? I, I think that's kind of uh, funny that um, there's an, an atheist who's actually telling us that we need to go out and tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and that he's actually using this, like, like if you don't, you can't say that you love me. He actually said that you hate me. That's what, that's what this atheist is saying. You hate me if you're not going to tell me the greatest news of all time. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty, and I don't want that. That's not what this is all about. But, but I'm asking myself these questions, too. Like, does this all become about us in the church? Is this all about us? We come together continually throughout the week, and we celebrate what it is that God has done for us. Is this just about us? 
And this has been a question that God is just pummeling me over and over in my heart. And I think if I was asked that question, no, people would say, well, no, this is about God. We're worshiping God. We're worshiping the sovereignty and holiness of God. We're, 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 we're just worshiping. And that's, that's his desire for us. But I would say that the reality of it is that God gave us a mission. God, in his sovereignty and in his love for mankind, is using us to go out and tell people the good news, this beautiful, beautiful message of love and hope and reconciliation. And so I, I was thinking, I'm going I'm to read to you some scripture here from 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. And if you think about it, the disciples and how fired up they were and what it cost them. Outside of John, the apostle John, they all lost their lives for this message. They were so fired up about this that, and they were so compelled by the love of Christ that they knew that they had to go spread this message. And even Paul, Paul, the great evangelist in Scripture, outside of Jesus, I don't think there's ever been a better evangelist than Paul. Paul, and I, I, this, is, this is something extra. Acts 21, he's actually going to Jerusalem, and there's people who come up to him. I guess Abigus comes up and, and binds up his hands with his belt and says, this is what's going to happen to you when you go to Jerusalem. You're going to be killed you shouldn't go. And they tried to dissuade him from going. And he actually gets like, why are you trying to dissuade me from going? I know I'm going to die, but the gospel needs to be preached. That's how fired up they were. That's how like, they, they didn't compromise in this thing called the gospel. They were so like enamored by the love of Christ, so compelled by the love of Christ that they couldn't help themselves. So he writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us, to us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you. This word implore is just such a beautiful word. It's from the Greek, dehemeho, which means to beg. Here's Paul, the theologian, who is begging people, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And he's, he's making a point that the, the, the appeal is going to be made through us. There's not going to be any Jesus dust falling in our communities anytime soon and Boom, people are saved. They're going to be saved through the declaration, through the proclamation of the gospel. Period. We need to be people of the gospel, not only in deed, but also in word. We have to speak this truth to people. We have to let these people know that they are loved by a God who sent his son to die for them, rose to give them new life. And he's giving us He's entrusting us with this message. He's, he's, again, this is the great handoff that God would give this message to us and say, now it's up to you to go and reach these people for Jesus. And so to continue in this line of thinking that we just need to love people, 
and not share the greatest news of all time? Shouldn't we be seeking these people who are broken and without hope? Shouldn't we be like part of our life's mission should be going, going, making, and teaching? Shouldn't that be like part of who we are or who we are at the core? It should be. This is who we are. So here's myth number two. By the way, evangelism just isn't my gift. Myth number two. I'm sorry, um, the Bible doesn't give us that out. I hear this all the time, and I've, uh, you know, I have the gift where I can go up to someone and just have like an open dialogue with them about the gospel. I do, when I'm like, when, when I, I, I'm being intentional, when I'm thinking it through, when I know, like, I, I want to have these discussions. It gets me excited. I know some people it's a little more, more difficult, but they can do it in a different way. We've all been made differently. But in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, this was very interesting to me. Because I was looking all over the scriptures, like, where is this gift of evangelism? Or is it just evident in certain people? But Paul, writing to the Ephesian church again, says he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do something, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Nowhere in the Bible is evangelism listed as a spiritual gift. I just couldn't find it. So I started like Googling it. Like, is, is evangelism a spiritual gift listed, listed in Scripture? All these different things. No, it's not. There's an office of an evangelist. But there is no gift called evangelism listed in the scriptures. There's all kinds of other gifts, but evangelism wasn't one of them. So I thought this was very interesting. But here, not only does Paul tell us that there's evangelists who is like an office of the church, along with teachers and and pastors, prophets, teachers, all of this, shepherds, all of this, like this is an office within the church. But this office, this office of evangelists is to do what? It's to equip the saints, to you do evangelism. That's, that's the work of an evangelist is to equip all the church to do evangelism, to be equipped to go and speak the gospel, to preach the gospel to all of creation. Listen to what it says in, in Mark 16, 15. Jesus said this, and this is also part of the, the great commission listed in uh, the book of Mark. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to, all, uh, to the whole creation. So this is like, this is all through the scriptures, and you see like the disciples going out and preaching the gospel, and talking to people about the gospel, and Paul going into the synagogue, or into the public square, or into, before King Agrippa, and all, to preaching the gospel. Like, this is, this is, we're supposed to be preachers of the gospel. We're supposed to be leading people to Jesus, not just like absorbing the beauty of the gospel ourselves without any like unction or any kind of a a passion or a fervor for passing it on to other people. And Paul was so passionate about this soul-winning thing. He took it so personally upon himself. Like this was his, and you know, it's really weird with this new reform movement that came out. A lot of people are like, well, salvation is not of me. I don't really participate in it. It's all of God, and God has preordained people who are going to be saved anyways, and all of that. And I hear that. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not speaking against Reformed theology or Calvinism. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is that there's an attitude that can be attached to it, that we don't need to reach people for Jesus, because ultimately they're reached anyways. There's preordained people who are going to heaven no matter what I do or what I say. Paul, Paul didn't think that way. Paul never said that. Paul, as a matter of fact, 
was very fervent about soul winning. So you have Paul writing this theological masterpiece in, in the book of Romans, and people think, like, this is the most theologically deep book in all of Scripture, so he's a theologian, but yet he's taking it upon himself. He's, actually, there's a passage, and I forgot to look that one up, but there's a passage where he said that he would even go to hell if it meant that his people would be saved, that he would give himself up to the flames in order that his people might be saved. He felt so passionate about this thing called soul winning. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23, I'm going to read this. Actually, you know what? Can we read this together? I think it would be good for us to read this together. So when that comes up, let's read this. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Well, if you look at what Paul is saying here, now we know that Paul doesn't have the power to save. But Paul has taken this message so, so personally, and he's, he's made it such his life mission that he is saying that I have to do these things in order that I might win some. That I might win some. Not that just, just like through osmosis, like Christian osmosis or something, people are going to get saved. No. He, he's saying, I, might, I have to do this. I'm going to soul win. I'm going to win people to Jesus, whether they're Jewish, whether they're Gentiles, whether they're, they're righteous, whether they're sinners, whoever these people are, whoever they think they are, I'm going to come after them with the gospel. And I'm going to do anything. I'm going to become all things to all men. If I have to change my identity, if I have to change the way I conduct myself, if I have to enter into their context and be someone that I'm not in order that I might communicate Christ crucified, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, it's like so, he's so passionate about this. And this is like, I, like do you see this in the church today? I'm going to do whatever it takes in order that my neighbor knows Jesus. I'm going to do whatever it takes that my coworker knows Christ and knows the beauty of the gospel because I want him to go to heaven. I want, I want him to have eternal life. I want him to be saved. I'm so passionate about my friend. I'm so passionate about my family that I know is far from God. Who hasn't been work, they don't walk with Jesus. That I'm, I'm, going to like, I'm going to put everything else aside because I want to love them with the gospel. It's just, it's, to me, it's, it's like the pendulum has swung so far from this time where we were just like so enthralled with evangelism, soul winning. We had these programs, people went door to door, did all of this stuff. And it's just so sad to me that you just don't see that in the church. And, and again, I'm not trying to like guilt anybody, make you feel bad. I'm just trying to like wake us up as a church to wake us up. So this should be our life mission to love the God who saved us and to love those around us 
with this beautiful message of the forgiveness of sin, of life, of hope, both in the here and now and forever. Amen? Amen? I mean, this is, I'm, this, I don't know, is this hard hitting? I don't know, I'm, I'm not trying to be that guy. But I just like, I, I just like, I'm, I just want people to know Christ. I just want no people to know Christ. I'm sitting up here during the song and we're singing about the name of Jesus and I can't make it through the song. I can't make it through the song because Jesus saved me. I have experienced the love of Jesus in my life in a deep, deep, meaningful way that he had taken somebody who was so broken and so lost and so without hope and he has lifted me up and put me on a rock and he has said, I have forgiven you, I have accepted you, I love you. You are my child. The kingdom of heaven is yours. You're, you're, you're a joint heir with me. You have all the inheritance of heaven. I've given it all to you. How can I not love that God? How can I not love my Savior who has given me all of this? How can I not love my neighbor by not telling him, listen to this, this beautiful message of hope and reconciliation? It, it, it's mind-blowing. It's really mind-blowing. But I am so stinking guilty of this. There's so many times and so many moments where I miss the mark. Another reason to love the grace of God, to love Jesus, because his, his, his blood has covered my sin. His life is, is, he has made me alive in him. And when I fall short, he's forgiving me. He's forgiven me. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I'm going to invite the band up. And I'd like to leave you with some beautiful words of scripture in regards to those who bring this good news. Because here's the thing. I think sometimes in the church we think that the gospel is like, it's, it's bad news. We think, you know, telling somebody that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus is bad news. But it's really the greatest news of all. It's because we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us is righteous. No, not one. Scripture is very clear that even our good stuff, our righteousness, is like filthy rags to God. We can't make it on our own. But Jesus, in his love and in his grace and his mercy, says, yes, come. Even in your brokenness and your frailty and all your, your, your messed up stinking thinking and all your sin, come. I want you. I want you in all of your messiness. I want you. Romans 10 11 to 15 says this, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, verse 14, How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You bring a beautiful, beautiful message. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of the consequences of preaching the gospel. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful message. Listen, in the gospel, you bring Jesus 
It's beautiful. You're beautiful. Your feet are beautiful because this is a beautiful message. In Jesus, the gospel is, is forgiveness. In the gospel, there is grace and there is mercy and there is hope and there is love and there is salvation and there is life. It is the greatest message of all time. The gospel is beautiful. And God has entrusted it to us, making us ministers of reconciliation, entrusting us with this beautiful message where we can go out and spread this beautiful message of hope to people who are lost and broken and dying without hope, dying without eternal life. We have this message to win some. We can win some. We can be a part of that. God asks us, commands us to be a part of that, that we might share in its blessings. You lead someone to Jesus and they say yes to Jesus, you get to share in that eternally. You get to share in that blessing. And he's with us to the ends of the age. You're not alone. And we have each other. We have each other. And so your feet are beautiful when you bring this message to those who are in desperate need of good news. And there's so many people right now that need good news and we have it. We have the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's go. Let's go church. Let's preach the good news. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes for the Jew and for the Gentile, for the broken, dirty, rotten sinner. It is the power of God to change their life eternally. It is the power that we have. We've been given it. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God and he has given us power from on high to preach this beautiful message. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's celebrate this beautiful gospel.